Hello and welcome to Natural Health with CNM, the College of Naturopathic Medicine. I'm your host, Michelle Sanchez. In today's episode, I'm joined by clinical psychoneuroimmunologist Melanie Aldridge. Melanie is going to be talking to us about brain inflammation and inflammaging. She'll be explaining what brain inflammation is, the signs to look out for, and the long-term health complications if it's not addressed early on. Melanie will also be discussing how to overcome brain inflammation naturally and the impact that gut health has on the brain. Melanie has been immersed in the field of natural and integrative medicine for over 28 years, a practicing clinical psychoneuroimmunologist, a functional medicine practitioner and a certified metabolic balance coach. She joined the Alliance for Natural Health International in 2005 as the executive coordinator, where she works closely with the executive and scientific director to positively shape the scientific and regulatory environment required to facilitate the future development of natural and sustainable healthcare. During the last 13 years, Melanie has been instrumental in furthering the NAH's communications with the global integrative medicine community and has been actively involved in consultations with the European Commission, the European Food Safety Authority, the UK Food Standards Agency, as well as the World Health Organization of the United Nations. Melanie regularly contributes to articles, columns and press releases in the field of sustainable healthcare and regulatory challenges. Hi, Melanie. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. It's great to have you on the show. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much. It's really lovely to be here. Now, brain inflammation is such a fascinating subject and a very fitting topic, especially with what's going on in the world right now. So I'm really looking forward to learning more about that. But before we get on to brain health, please, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience in the industry? Sure. So, your listeners will probably hear that I've got a slight accent. That's because I spent the first 20 years of my life in Malaysia and the Far East and then in Zimbabwe. So I had my childhood and growing up in Zimbabwe. And although it was amazing from a nature point of view and having all that outside time that we had out there, it wasn't so great in terms of my health. And I actually spent the first 20 years of my life incredibly ill and going from, you know, one illness to another, many, many bouts of antibiotics. And by the time I had turned 17, I'd already had scarlet fever and glandular fever and an emergency tonsillectomy. And a year later, I developed an autoimmune disease. And so back then, nobody really had any idea at all how diet was and, and lifestyle was linked in with illness and with disease pathways. So, you know, my, my background was very much a journey of self-healing myself, which I, which I really was forced into undertaking when I was 20 after um, I'd had a, a total thyroidectomy. I, I got Graves' disease. And um, for anyone who's listening, that's an autoimmune thyroid condition where you get an overactive thyroid And unfortunately, after two years of drug therapy to try and suppress it, nothing worked and they ended up operating and removing my entire thyroid at 20. Oh, wow. And I was obviously really unwell and I... I had, a, I had some very, very dark times back then and I realised that the choices in front of me were either <clears throat> not continuing, which is something I, I felt very strongly about at the time, or I was going to do something about it and I was going to try and find a path through myself because 
the medical profession had kind of washed their hands of me and said, well, you know, there's nothing more we can do now. So Mm -hmm. that started my journey and it really has taken, it took me 25 years, if I'm honest, to get to a point where I really felt like I'd got my health and vitality back. Um, But I've been been, um, in the integrative medicine field and I've been a practitioner since I was about 24 because as so many other um, practitioners, you know, it's your own journey that brings you to this. And then the level of knowledge that you get as you're working through your own journey, you're able to help other people along the way. So I guess in a nutshell, that's how I came to it. But I've done very many different modalities um, in my time. And um, I've landed up now with um, a degree in nutritional medicine which then took me into psychoneuroimmunology and obviously functional medicine as well. And that enables me to come full circle and use a lot of diet and lifestyle, different techniques to try and help bring people back into balance again. Because first and foremost, you know, what we put into ourselves in terms of food, food is not just fuel for the body, but it's information as well. And it's informing every single process in the body. So when you really understand that food is information, you start to think much more carefully about what you're actually putting in because what is it that you want to put out? And we're not going to be talking about autoimmune um, in this in this podcast, but I will just say the key for me, it took me until I was about um, in my early 30s to realize that I had a very, very strong sensitivity and intolerance to gluten. And obviously now the link between gluten and autoimmune disease is is very well established. But um, for me, you know, growing up and in those times, it wasn't at all. So I just didn't want to leave anyone hanging thinking, well, God, what was the main thing? Mm -hmm. There were a lot of um, different high points and low points on my journey back to health again. But um, that was a a huge learning curve for me, which suddenly um, made everything in my sort of 20 years towards the autoimmune disease make sense again. So, you know, we're going to talk now about Um, brain inflammation, but obviously brain inflammation and um, autoimmunity have got one really big thing in common, and that's inflammation. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, for whatever ails you, inflammation is going to be there at the core. So you can take what we're talking about today and, and hopefully you can apply some of the principles you know, to other aspects of health as well, because wherever there's inflammation and we need to put the fire out, you know, some of the techniques that we're going to talk about towards the end, will be able to help with that as well. Absolutely. And we might get you on later on, on another episode to talk about autoimmune, because that's such a big topic as well. And you say, you know, it's becoming more and more common, isn't it, Melanie? It is. It's um, autoimmunity is actually the fastest growing disease group, if you like. Um, there's over a hundred being of different diseases now being described as autoimmune, and um, and more all the time, and more people being diagnosed all the time. And so, you know, when I grew up, it was incredibly rare and hardly. I mean, there was next to no one who had anything like that. Now. It's so unbelievably common. And so you need to be thinking, what is it that we are doing 
that's actually creating this loss of self-tolerance to ourselves. And, you know, that's why I say that a lot of what we're going to talk about today will be very relevant for that as well, because, um, you know, inflammation is, is, driving, is driving that. Absolutely. And I love how you describe it as food as information, because I think that's, yeah, that's really key as well, isn't it? It's very key. And, you know, we're all so individual and we've all come in with our own set of um, um, genes and our our blueprint for life, our book of life through our genetics. But what that means is that when we take in food and we take in information, it is going to end up having um, a slightly different effect and pathway for everyone because it's informing us and it has to be then, you know, going through our own genetic expression as well, which is why as practitioners, you know, one size doesn't fit all and we do individual programs for people because, you know, one food may express very differently in someone else. But I I also think that most people really do know what resonates well for them and what causes them a problem. So I, I think that whilst we're so emotionally connected to food as well it's one of the hardest things in life to change at the same time as not wanting to give up things that we really love or that we're very connected to we also really know inside what foods cause us a problem and what don't absolutely i couldn't agree more well now before we move on to brain health and brain inflammation can you tell us a little bit more about the work you do at the alliance for natural health international and what what your role is there Absolutely, because obviously um, now I'm the executive coordinator here and I have been for um, the last, um, oh my goodness, 17 and a half going on 18 years. Um, I don't practice full time anymore because we're very busy, but um, ANH is a a non-profit organization and um, we um, we run sort of campaigns. Um, we're very involved in um, activism when we see aspects of natural and sustainable healthcare being um, restricted or um, at risk from different types of legislation. But we're also incredibly involved in research and education as well. So um, we are uh, involved in sort of promoting and promoting protecting all different forms of natural and sustainable approaches to healthcare. So on our website, you will find an absolute wealth of information um, from, you know, things that are going on today um, all the way through to, you know, what to do about food. So we have different campaigns on there and the Food for Health campaign will um, enable um, any of the listeners to go and find um, some of the food plates that I might talk about today. Um, We've devised our own um, food plates because we're not enormous fans of um, the, the the government's eat well plate. Um, <clears throat> I tend I tend to feel it's a bit more um, like a diabetes plate, and <laughs> and it's certainly one that is going to be promoting inflammation, not um, toning it down. So we back in 2015 we actually created our own. Um, our own food plate and there is one for children as well as um, for vegans as well now and then a lot of information and articles to help people um, bring that into their into their life and use it on a daily basis so um, I guess you know you could you could say that um, you know whilst we uh, educate and um, and we do a lot of research as well we also um, are there as um, kind of big protectors and we'll jump into action if if something is going to be restricted so 
one of the reasons why ANH came into being in the first place was um, back in 2002 when the Food Supplements Directive was coming in and it was going to be basically banning all vitamin and mineral sources that were natural and um, were not the sort of synthetic um, pharmaceutical made ones. And, you know, just an example of some of the work we do, we, we led quite a big legal challenge, um, first of all in the UK, and then it was expedited to the European Court of Justice. And um, at the ECJ, we actually managed to um, force quite a few changes to the Food Supplements Directive. And it's the reason today why natural sources of vitamins and minerals are excluded from that directive, and they are still all on sale and all protected. So we've done an awful lot of, of, of work like that as well. Um, as you know, as the work we do um, for citizens um, and practitioners in terms of um, education. Yep, you do a fantastic job and all the resources and the videos. I love your videos on the website. <laughs> no, they just explain things really simply and um, you know, give you people actionable things that they can take away and start implementing straight away. That's great. We, um, <clears throat> we realised, um, you know, a, a few years ago that... Um, you know, video was going to uh, going to do so much more in this, and and so we ha we have we've got a fantastic media team, and they are really genius. And um, <laughs> the videos are just going from strength to strength. So thank you for the appreciation. No, they're fantastic because you've got it. It's yeah, just the music and everything you've got. They're very yeah, very engaging <laughs> videos. I think they're brilliant. Okay, now let's move on to brain health and brain inflammation. But firstly, can you give us a brief overview of the brain anatomy and how the brain functions? So I'm going to keep this um, really, really simple. And um, I mean, the, I'm, I'm not a neuroscientist. Obviously, brain anatomy, I, we could be here for, um, for weeks talking about that. But the, what most people um, benefit from knowing is that you know, we've kind of got three brains, if you like. So we've got the full brain, which is um, what we're more familiar with, where you, that's your reasoning, your higher executive function. It's your skill base. It's where you do your problem solving. Um, it also regulates your sort of autonomic nervous system, um, your, your endocrine, which is your hormones, um, and sort of motor functions as well. And we call that, you know, that's our human brain, and that's what we're using on a, on a daily basis. But um, we've got the midbrain, um, which, you know, gets called the monkey brain, which regulates movement and the processing of what we hear and all our visual information. And then we've got the hindbrain, um, and we often refer to that as the lizard brain because this is where we do all the things that are below the level of our consciousness, really. So it's like all the housekeeping functions where, you know, you don't think about breathing, you just breathe. So this is also where um, <clears throat> your autonomic nervous system functions come in, um, different types of movement coordination. So, you know, you go to pick up a a, a glass of water to have a sip you don't think about that it just happens naturally um, and balance um, happens naturally as well but it's also um, where we go on autopilot and it's our fight and flight as well and so our, our that lizard part of our brain um, has come into play really a lot in the last 14 months with the huge stress that people have been under because the minute we're under that kind of survival stress, we head into that very reactive fight and flight um, mode of ours. And it's also 
where our, our hippocampuses, our, our memories, and um, the amygdala um, are all are all sitting in 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 this kind of area. Now, the, um, we also, in the sort of mammalian part of our brain, we've also got our limbic system, our emotions, our memories, our habits, our attachments. And these are, are pretty important because they are very linked in to how we make change in life. And, um, you know, some people can find um, change incredibly difficult, particularly change of food, change of lifestyle patterns. And, you know, sometimes it's because of early conditioning and it's attachments. And this is and this is all um, part of these different parts of our brain, really. Um, but the one that we're most familiar with that we kind of understand on a daily basis is is our is the one that gets affected, uh, our sort of higher executive function. And, you know, when, when we're stressed, um, and or certainly when we're, when we go into brain inflammation, that's one of the things that we see and we feel, um, probably more readily. We find it more difficult to solve problems. Um, there can be a certain amount of confusion, um, brain fog, um, you know, a feeling of complete overwhelm where you just can't sort out, um, your thoughts, and there doesn't seem to be any space in your brain. And so we're going to we're going to talk about how some of those are actually red flags, and um, and what you can do about it to bring some more calm back into the system again. So I hope that just it just sets the tone. As I say, I think it's going to be very complex to look any deeper than that, but um, we definitely want to look at how we can help to. Um, give the brain a bit more space, particularly when you've gone into fight and flight, when you're in survival stress, um, and when you may be in that sort of inflamed and very overwhelmed, um, chronically stressed state as well. Yeah, uh, thank you for that. No, I think that was a perfect explanation. I think, as you say, it is such a complex structure. Um, but I, you know, I think you've you uh, explained that very well but we'll go into things a little bit more detail as we go on but before we talk about brain inflammation can you just explain for anyone who's not aware what inflammation is and the difference between chronic and acute inflammation sure so um Inflammation is one of those things that is so easy to understand when you can see it on your skin so if you were to um if you were to cut yourself and it got infected, um, I'm sure everybody in their life has, has had some kind of infection on their skin. You know that there's often an area of um, red heat and, uh, and a lot of redness and swelling um, around, around the area of the infection. And that redness and swelling is inflammation. And we can get that kind of inflammation systemically, internally as well. Um, but obviously you don't get to see it. So, um, one of the, one of the ways, uh, you know, one of the closest ways that I think you can understand it is that if any of you listening have, um, any kind of gut distress, if you eat something that doesn't, um, sit right with you, often people, um, like me, if I consume something now that's got gluten in it, um, I can, I can have pain in my gut within about 20 minutes of consuming the gluten. Um, full celiacs will have that pain almost immediately. Um, they'll have um, lots of other symptoms as well, maybe, maybe uh, bloating, which is swelling, um, maybe um, cramps. Um, you know, all of these things are a sign of inflammation. Um, and that's the kind of a more acute 
um, immediate inflammation that rises up. It's a fire that flames. But, and then that gets better again when the body gets to put some of that out. But the difference between that acute and then a chronic background inflammation is that when you've got a chronic inflammation, you don't get a full resolution of that acute inflammation. And so you get a level of low-lying um, background inflammation that never resolves. But what it does is it just starts to sap your um, body's energy because your immune system is then continually upregulated. So your immune system, um, we, are, we are still dealing with, an, with our immune system that we were given, um, well, that we've had it since we've evolved, basically. So our hunter-gatherer ancestors, um, the immune system came at that, you know, evolved to be able to protect us from um, an injury. And then, you know, or running from that saber-toothed tiger, tiger being damaged by the saber-toothed tiger, but then healing again. Um, when you ran from um, something and then you got to safety again, you would be able to have your immune system go back to baseline. And what we're finding in today's incredibly stressed modern environment is that our immune systems don't go back to baseline because our stress levels don't go back to baseline. And then we have chronic inflammation because of the way um, we live, our lifestyle, but also the way we eat. And those two things together uh, end up creating um, the perfect kind of, um, you know, template for, you know, low-grade chronic systemic inflammation. So many people don't notice it because you don't, it's not like the acute inflammation where you're going to get pain or some kind of other symptom, but you are, um, you are creating pathology and over time your body will just um, get to a certain point and it won't be able to contain that any longer and it will just descend into um, some kind of um, some kind of other, you know, disease, some, some kind of illness. So we know that with all of the chronic diseases of today, so you look at um, type 2 diabetes or um, osteoporosis, cancer, um, obesity, heart disease, they all have inflammation at the core. So one of the key things for creating um, chronic disease in the body is to have this chronic um, inflammation, low-grade inflammation over time that just saps the energy of the immune system until such time as that your body can't contain it. It's almost like the damn wall breaks and the flood creates the disease. Does that, um, does that answer your question, Michelle? Yeah, I think that's perfect. Yeah. And I, as you say, it's kind of, you know, with acute inflammation, it's that fire that flames, but with chronic, it's just the, the fire just keeps burning and burning and, you know, damaging everything in the meantime. Because obviously, you know, with any kind of inflammation, you know, the body talks to, talks to itself in signals, in chemical signals. So you have a whole suite of chemical signals that kind of trigger this inflammatory suite. And, um, but then you need to have other um, chemical signals that come in to resolve it as well. If that resolution doesn't take place, you are also just continually pumping out inflammatory messenger chemicals um, and you don't get the resolving. 
So you end up with an exhausted system that is, you know, you've been having to put so much energy into the immune system. And that's, a, that's the other reason why um, often people who are chronically inflamed feel the need to, they're constantly hungry and they're wanting to eat all the time because they actually need to be taking in, you know, quite a lot of energy to fuel the immune system. And as this happens, you start to become more insulin um, insensitive so that you are, um, you're, you're losing the ability to sense insulin and use it properly. So even the food and the energy and the carbohydrate, the sugars that you are taking in, you can't actually access. So it becomes this real vicious spiral that you need to just be able to come in and intervene. And again, food is one of the main ways that we can do that um, really quickly. So we'll talk about um, food and lifestyle, but, um, but the, anything to do with chronic you always need to think about energy usage in the body because, um, you know, everything comes down to energy mm -hmm. and how much energy we're able to take in and what we need to fuel. The body is always about conserving energy because it was a survival mechanism. And if you think about the fact that we are still working with our Paleolithic blueprint, genetic blueprint to a large extent. I mean, yes, there've been mutations, but we really are, you know, we have moved so far beyond where our genetic blueprint is that um, we're suffering, you know, many of the modern disease we're suffering. We can actually dial all of that back if we were to put in place measures that spoke to our genetic blueprint and the language it understood. So again, that always comes back to food and different lifestyle triggers to be able to try and conserve some energy and, um, and try and get the body to calm down and come back to a baseline again. So it's exactly the same when we get into talking about the brain inflammation is that, you know, understanding what the causes are and what's happening allows you to come in and be able to do a, a number of steps to help turn it off. Absolutely. Well, that moves us on nicely. So what is happening when the brain's inflamed and what is causing this inflammation? So I think um, um, if we just, if we look at um, two structures, first of all, we're going to look at, uh, I mean, the brain, everybody knows their brain is sitting inside their skull. Um, I, I'm not sure whether everyone knows that there is a, a blood-brain barrier. So there is a, a barrier between the brain and the rest of the body um, with, with this, you know, this membrane to inner. It's very important to obviously prevent everything in the body from flowing in and out of the brain. The body um, is very selective about what is allowed to get into the brain um, for obvious reasons. But what may be less commonly understood is that the... Um, that the gut mucosa as well is um, uh, is is very much like the blood brain barrier, and that it is meant to um, keep the what the the contents of the gut completely separate um, from the rest of the body. So, what tends to happen um, in today's world is that we um, people really experience leaky gut, and um, and we, we would talk about that as practitioners as a gut permeability issue, but I'm using the word leaky gut because I think it's more descriptive. And so when your gut turns into a tea bag, for want of a better word, and becomes um, more leaky than it should be, what is happening in your gut is generally happening in your blood-brain barrier as well. 
Mm-hmm. So um, it is also why as practitioners, we come back to the gut every single time. We start with the gut, we come back to the gut, because if you work with the gut and you get the gut fully sealed up again and you work with gut permeability, you are really able to make a change for what is happening in the brain. Looking at the gut and looking at the state that the gut is in gives us a very clear picture of what might be going on for the brain. So some of the main triggers that you've got are gastrointestinal dysfunction. So if um, if you've suffered with a lot of, um, well, I mean, anything from uh, bloating to pain in the gut to disturbance with gut motility, i.e. Um, you've suffered with um, more irritable bowel-like symptoms, diarrhea, constipation, if you have trouble digesting your food, um, if you have pain after eating certain foods and you've got sensitivity to things but you carry on eating them and all of these kind of um, gut you know imbalances are generally going to lead to um, leaky gut issues and the minute that you've got a permeability issue um, some of the um, there is something called uh, lipopolysaccharides that um, are gut bacteria make now these are meant to stay completely within the gut but if you have a leaky gut and you have permeability you have these um this lipopolysaccharides escaping out they are very very triggering for inflammation so if i can just um use an analogy here that um The gut mucosa has its own immune system. Now, your gut is meant to be completely sealed from mouth, um, from mouth to exit. And when you eat, um, and you take in food and drink, your gut mucosa, the immune system in your gut mucosa comes out and starts to, um, assess, you know, self from non-self. Is this, are you, is this something that's going to damage me? Is this good? Are there pathogens in here? And more times than not, the food that you're eating is absolutely fine. If you tend to eat a food um, that's got a pathogen in it and you start to get food poisoning, your body will um, literally open the tight junctions in your gut barrier in order to let some of that leak out so that the big guns of the immune system in the body can come in and help fight the infection. And this is why when you do get food poisoning, it is an entire body thing. You, your, your body aches like mad. You have, um, you feel exhausted. You want to go to bed. You, you know, you're vomiting. You've got an upset stomach, but it's an entire body thing. Um, and not just in the gut. Now, if you're doing, if you're having that, um, tight junction opening on a daily basis because of the foods that you're eating and gluten is one of the, one of the, the foods that does this. So gluten is the, um, is the protein inside, um, inside different grains, particularly wheat and spelt, um, and barley. Um, then you are literally, um, every time you eat that gluten, um, that gluten is coming in and it is mimicking, um, the, the zonulin, which the body secretes to open the tight junctions. And the, the, the gluten is able to mimic that and open the tight junctions. And I know this is a, this is a, um, quite a, a challenging thing for a lot of people because wheat is one of the main staples. It's in absolutely everything. People love their bread. They don't want to give up on these things. There's, you know, it's a subject that divides many practitioners even. Um, 
I have to say that um, I am definitely on the side of the coin that I feel that um, foods containing gluten are not fit for human consumption. I think um, I've seen enough with, you know, auto my own autoimmune but other autoimmune um, diseases and people with that. I, I, I've been treating people for um, in 20 years like this and I've seen people get so much better when they cut gluten out. So I'm going to, you know, nail my kind of flag to the mast and tell you that I am not a fan of gluten um, because if you are continually forcing your gut open, you are going to be triggering inflammation because your body, your that kind of the contents that's in your gut should not be um, in your in your body, and you will always make the immune system come back and start to fight because it's it's sensing things that shouldn't be there. So that's how it drives inflammation. So um, gastrointestinal dysfunction, um, the translocation of um, some of these lipopolysaccharides from the gram-negative bacteria in your gut. Um, also, immune system deficiencies. So, if you um, if if you have been lacking in certain nutrients that help drive the immune system, plus if your gut microbiome is not in the best state, so um, about seventy to eighty percent of your immune function actually comes from your um, gut microbiome, and I mean they really are our symbiotic partners in life. I mean we we really need our microbiome to be in tip-top condition because um, they not only do they manufacture um, many, many nutrients for us, but um, they also power our immune system. So, um, and then, you know, the other side of it is chronic inflammation as well. So, we're, you know, these are probably, um, those are sort of four of the, of the big um, systemic uh, triggers for brain inflammation. But then let's not forget chronic stress either, um, trauma. Uh, you've also got um, a traumatic brain injury. So if you've ever been uh, knocked out and you, if you've ever lost your um, lost consciousness, had a bang on the head, um, had a, an accident, um, all of these kind of traumatic brain injuries um, are also, um, they also promote um, brain inflammation as well. And, um, and, and, and so infections can do it as well. So if you, um, if you've ended up uh, with it, with an infection, whether bacteria or viruses, um, so, so tick bites. Um, in Zimbabwe, we used to call it tick bite fever. Over here, it's Lyme disease. Um, but Borrelia is the um, is the uh, microbe that um, that you can get infected by. You know, some people um, can have an infection like that, and really have barely any symptoms, and their immune system is so strong and so resilient it just deals with it. But other people where there is a slight immune system deficiency or vulnerability there, they can end up getting really, really sick. So again, you know, it's about us being individual and about looking at, um, at everybody to see which bit is, is triggering for them. So does that give you sort of more of an idea of how many things, but the types of things that come in to, um, to trigger brain inflammation? Absolutely. And as you say, the dietary and lifestyle factors like stress uh, and gluten, you know, that's going to be, I think, a driving factor for a lot of people because it is so omnipresent, isn't it? You know, people are just, you know, the modern diet is very gluten rich and, you know, people, the stress around us all the time. So I think um, that would be a big one for a lot of people. 
I think so. And then obviously aging, there's not, you know, I mean, we are all aging. Um, there's not a lot we can do about uh, about the aging, but we can age more healthily if that makes us if that makes sense. And um, when I talk a little bit um, later about oxidative stress, I can explain more about that. But um, but aging can also be um, a trigger for for brain inflammation. So you know, I I think some of the key um, red flags and signs to look out for is. Um, Chronic stress is really important. I mean, obviously, um, traumatic brain injury. If you um, if you have had a bang on the head, um, if you have lost consciousness, if you have had a problem like that, then please be aware that your brain is going to be much more sensitive always. So one of the reasons for this is that um, there are um, there are cells um, called microglia in the brain, and um, they are basically the macrophages in the brain. So the macrophages are your little Pac-Man cells in the rest of your body that are your cleanup cells. They go in and they munch up all the stuff that needs to be, um, all the debris basically, the debris that our own cells make, the debris that we take in after we've had a battle with um with microbes and antigens, and after we've kind of won the battle, there's often a lot of debris um, on the ba- on the battlefield, and the macrophages come in and they clean it all up. So in the brain, um, those cells are called microglia, and um, when when we're born, and um, you know if we haven't undergone any kind of stress while we're in the womb or growing up, our microglia are are in what we call the M zero resting state. And they're very calm, they're rested, they go in and do their job. Um, they're all about surveillance and they're all about resolution and cleanup. But if they become primed by something like a traumatic brain injury, like acute stress and trauma, um, or from inflammation, or also from aging, they move from their M0 resting state into their M1 inflammatory state. And this is where we really tip over into brain inflammation. So when the microglia suddenly um, go into hyper alert and they get primed and they go into a, a, an inflammatory state. Now, the, the kind of the challenge is that you can never take your microglia from an M1 inflammatory state back into an M0 resting state. You never go back to where you came from. It's a bit like the gut. Once you've had one course of antibiotics in your life, you will never, ever get your microbiome back to what it was Mm. before the antibiotics. But in the brain, what you can do is you can can encourage resolution and cleanup And you can take your microglia into sort of the M2 resting state. So it's not the same resting state before they were primed, but it is a calmer, non-inflammatory state. But that is only if you've had enough resolution and enough cleanup. If the clearance is incomplete, they stay in that primed M1 state. Obviously, if you stay in that prime state, you are going to be heading towards pathology of the brain at some point in time because you will not be able to contain that level of inflammation because it's going to be putting out, it's going to be pumping out 
huge amounts of inflammatory messenger chemicals called cytokines, and there is going to end up being damage. You, you, you know, it's like having it's like having a fire um, in your house. Uh, if you don't get the fire out really quickly, you end up doing a lot of damage, and it's mm -hmm. really the same for inflammation um, in our body as well. So it's really important if we. Um, start to see some of these um, signs and red flags that we take um, that we take actions that are going to help to bring us back into a more resting um, resolution state. So, you know, when your microglia have also become primed, they change their look and feel. They change their shape as well. They lose some of their branches. They become much more like a amoeba blob. Um, they also become um, much more uncontrolled with inflammatory response and they tend to um, react very quickly as well to secondary challenge. So they become much more reactive as well. And so what this means is that if you have had something in your life that has primed you, you will probably find that you are less stress tolerant than you used to be, that um, things will create more stress for you, particularly in the brain and the way your brain functions than you were before. And, you know, if you were to then um, get an infection like a, like a tick bite or something like that, you might find that um, actually um, your neuroinflammation is going to end up being much higher than someone who has um, their microglia in a resting state. So it's very much the same as um, two individuals, one with a very calm, placid demeanor um, and someone who's much more reactive and, you know, ready to fly into anger and temper at any, at any um, event. If you, if you take those two people and you face them with something very stressful and challenging, you already know that the calm, placid person is likely to take it in a very calm, placid way find a solution, move through it, and you would know that the other sort of more reactive person is generally going to probably have a, a temper about it and there's going to be damage and, um, you know, um, and there's going to be complications that comes from that. Well, it's pretty much the same in your brain if you have a brain that's primed for inflammation. There's going to be this over-response rather than a very calm response. And in those kind of over response, you can land up with more damage as well. So any dysfunction in these mechanisms leads to chronic inflammation um, in the brain. And um, that's when we start to sort of see, um, you know, our memory is going. And as I said before, this feeling of overwhelm, this sort of monkey mind mm -hmm. that you can't focus on anything, you struggle with problem solving. Um, brain fog, um, just feeling so fatigued that you feel like you can't hold any thoughts in your head um, is all a sign that you need to kind of stop and, uh, and literally breathe and try and find a way of calming everything down. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people just say, oh, I'm just stressed and I just put it down to stress, but it, it's gradually just getting worse and worse, isn't it, over time? It, it really is. And I mean, you know, Yes, we get stressed, and you know what I've what I've described are all you know those those um, those sort of signs that I've described are all signs that come with stress, and then they become more chronic if you're stressed over a long period of time. But it's really when that stress deepens and becomes you know chronic over a very long period of time and isn't resolved that um, you you are you are laying down 
um, you know, more risk for future problems in your brain without, mm-hmm. um, if, if you don't, um, if you don't look at it. And that's one of the reasons why as practitioners, we, we, we jump to it with stress because stress is absolutely insidious and it will destroy your health because it, it is, you know, the, the body doesn't know how to differentiate between the saber toothed tiger and the, and, and your stress response. They, to the body, it is exactly the same. It will upregulate the immune system exactly the same. So if you have heartbreak over um, a partner passing away, uh, if you have terrible stress over what's going on financially and with the bank manager and all the rest of it, if you have a wound or an operation the, to the body, these all involve the immune system in pretty much the same way. The mm-hmm. difference is is that um, the uh, the physical trauma tends to heal and finish. The emotional traumas go on and on and on unless we're able to resolve them. And therein, you know, lies the danger for our long-term health with stress that has become chronic that doesn't turn off because that also equals inflammation that becomes chronic that doesn't turn off. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Melanie, talk to us about inflammation and the long-term health complications and neurodegenerative conditions associated with brain inflammation. Yes. So the term inflammation has been around um, for some time now, and it is, uh, it's a fabulous term if you kind of understand where it's coming from, because it is the aging that is caused by chronic inflammation. And um, particularly when we look in the brain, now this is when I need to bring in the term oxidative stress. And I know that is a meaningless term to so many people, but um, the way to think about it is that, uh, and again, this is something new to me because having grown up in Africa, in Africa you can leave um, a piece of metal um, outside for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you will never have any rust. That's why we all drive such old cars over there because they don't rust. When I came to the the UK, I suddenly understood what rust was all about. (laughs) So so when you have humidity and you've got dampness in the air, and particularly by the sea and everything, and you leave a, you know, you leave a piece of metal out, um, you, you get rust. And that is because of oxidative stress. And exactly the same thing happens um, in the body as well. Now, um, oxidative stress is also related to, um, you know, to burning oxygen, basically. And I mean, we, we create a certain amount of free radicals just by breathing because we're taking in oxygen and we're breathing out carbon dioxide. But, um, but the brain itself consumes more than 20% of all the oxygen that we have in our bodies. So it's, it's, it's an awful lot. And therefore, it is very prone to oxidative stress anyway because it's using so much oxygen. So it has to keep a very tight balance between um, generating and then eliminating uh, reactive oxygen species, which are basically free radicals, which do all the damage. So think about the rust on the pipe. Um, that, that's what happens when we start to kind of rust and we don't deal with our free radicals internally. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that is what creates the aging because you're fast forwarding um, the, the kind of um, breakdown process. So oxidative stress is always a dual talk with inflammation. You never have one without the other. And so it becomes very important to make sure that you're taking in enough antioxidants to support your body's own um, antioxidant um, kind of processes um, to deal with all of these reactive oxygen species. 
But this is one of the reasons why we get inflammation because inflammation um, drives oxidative stress higher. It, it makes you oxidize quicker. And so it makes you age more rapidly. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why, you, you know, if, if you've been through any very big trauma in your life, um, be it physical or emotional, um, you will often look in the mirror and think that you've aged. I mean, people do go gray overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is because when you've got such rapid, um, you know, increase of um, oxidative stress from inflammation, it does, um, it does increase aging as well. So that's where the term inflammation comes from. But again, nature is the most amazing. um, Nature's just so amazing because she gave us um, what we needed. I mean, some of the coloured fruits and vegetables, the reason why they're all coloured like that, because all those different colours contain different phytonutrients that help with their, their, we call them secondary plant metabolites, and they most of them are antioxidant. Um, so they, they really help us to, to, um, to deal with our inflammation. And, you know, we have to breathe in oxygen to, to survive. We're going to make free radicals. We've got about five different systems in the body, chemical systems to, to deal with free radicals. And then if we have a really good diet on top of it and we eat a lot of plant food and we make sure we get the colors and, you know, the six colors of nature's palette in every day, we then take in all of those antioxidants as well. And so you can come in and you can sort of dampen down and you can support your body massively with the antioxidants that you take in in your diet. But, you know, one of the things that we see today is that there is such a loss of diversity and people's diets have been so incredibly impacted. And, um, you know, many people just don't really eat, um, you know, plant foods um, anymore. Uh, and if they do, they eat the same ones time and time again. And often they've sat in the fridge for a long time. They, you know, they may have come out of um, the supermarket where the fruits have been ethylene ripened and they've been sitting in cold store for a year. And, you know, so you end up eating plant foods that um, have got very little in the way of um, vitamins and minerals and enzymes and some of these other factors. But um, I, I think one of the things that we're passionate about at ANH is really trying to um, educate people about this aspect of food, about eating a rainbow every day, um, about trying to buy your fruits and vegetables from the farm gate, if you can, from box schemes, from places where they may not have sat in cold store and you may be able to eat them quicker, um, you know, straight out the ground and sort of on the plate is, is, is the way is the best way to do it. It's not always possible for everyone, but you know, even frozen vegetables are often frozen at the time that they've been taken out of the ground and they've been processed immediately. And so some of them have got more in terms of nutrients in them than the others that have been sitting on the supermarket shelves, maybe frozen, maybe cold store, um, you know, for months in, in advance. Shocking, so, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it's, it is. It's really terrifying. And I, uh, you know, when we were looking a few years ago at, um, at there, there's a, there's an amazing man called Vili Smits who's gone out to Indonesia and he's very involved in um, 
rescuing and um, and saving orangutans. And um, he's got a big center out there. And he's been able to track that they actually eat on a regular basis. They, they can draw on herbal knowledge of about 300 to 400 different plant species. So they do all of their own healing through herbal medicine. And they're eating this incredibly diverse diet as well. And then you look at what's happened to humans. And do you know that very often the majority of people are eating 20 foods or less a year because wow. people, eat, people eat the same thing mm-hmm. all the time. They go to the supermarket, they buy the same thing. Yeah. And they put the same vegetables together. Um, and so we've lost so much diversity. And with that loss of diversity, we're losing so many plant nutrients that are going to help us with inflammation, with, with oxidative stress, with our um, gut microbiome, um, with our vitamin and mineral status. So, you know, that's one of the, the, the big things to put back, especially when you're wanting to really help your brain, is get, you know, make sure you eat a rainbow every day. Get the six colors in of nature's palette and um and try and you know get your um your plant foods as fresh as you possibly can from you know from local places yep such great advice and the thing is there is so much more choice now there's so many box schemes there's you know lots of places have farmers markets or you know farms that you can go to so it is much more available now than it used to be isn't it it is, and I think it's really nice as well. We, we, we need to support our local communities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the more that we can actually do that, the more we'll keep people in business, the more we'll keep the farms in business. And, um, and that is, it is healthier all round than, you know, um, buying the foods that have got tons of air miles on them that have come in, you know, through the big, um, you know, multinationals. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're great for sort of promoting um, eating local as much as possible. So, Melanie, what can we do naturally through diet, nutrition and lifestyle to reduce brain inflammation and reverse any damage? Now, I know you've touched on some of the dietary, but is there anything else we can do diet-wise? Absolutely. So, um, you know, the, the great news is that the growth of new brain cells is halted by inflammation in the body. So the reason why I say that's great news is that by changing your diet and by really focusing on what we call a brain-friendly diet, you can reverse that and um, and and you know and try and lay down great new brain cells. So one of the things that um, we promote is a much more keto-adapted diet. Now um, that is not the ketogenic diet. The ketogenic diet is um, is you know a diet that is used for healing, particularly with epilepsy and with cancer. But a keto-adapted diet um, is more a diet of origin, basically. It's the way, it's more aligned to the way we used to eat as Mm hunter-gatherers. So it's very low in starchy carbohydrates. Um, There's moderate protein and higher healthy fats. Um, It's naturally anti-inflammatory. And it and because of that, it promotes healthy weight management as well as metabolic flexibility. And one of the things that I try and help clients to get um, to, which I'm sure your CNM practitioners will do as well, is try and get people into more of an intermittent fasting regime because that is a much more natural way. So this, you know, what we've fallen into in modern life of this business of eating three meals a day plus snacks is completely turning our diet of origin on its head because we are built for famine and not for feast. Our entire biochemistry 
is built to withstand long periods of not having food. Can you imagine the human race would have died out millions <laughs> of years ago if we, you know, if we had to have as much food as people actually consume today? Mm-hmm. So yeah. we all do better on less food. And, you know, intermittent fasting is one of the ways in which you can mimic the famine periods that our hunter-gatherer ancestors used to go through. And what that does is it brings on stream protective mechanisms in the body that protect against, um, you know, things like cancer and chronic disease, basically, because it turns on all these pathways that help keep inflammation down. But the more food that you put into your body, um, the more you're going to promote inflammation. Because if you think about when I spoke at the beginning of this and I talked about the fact that our gut needs to be completely sealed, it's meant to be sealed. Mm-hmm. So our gut mucosa ends up dealing in one day with you know almost more um, insults than our whole immune system in the body does in a lifetime, if you think about how much we eat and drink every day. And, um, and so we, um, that creates inflammation, that, that kind of upregulation of the immune system in the gut mucosa, checking everything that you're putting into you, that creates inflammation. Mm -hmm. So if you are eating three meals a day and snacks as well, and for some of those people who tend to graze all day, you are never turning that inflammation off or allowing a rest period for your enzymes and all your gastrointestinal tract to just calm down and be at rest. So there you've already got an upregulation. If you then are eating some of the foods that trigger sensitivity um, or if you're eating a lot of gluten and you're particularly sensitive to that and you're driving your tight junctions open, you are then driving inflammation systemically in the body as well. So um, that is one of the reasons why I do promote intermittent fasting as well, because um, A, it's less food, B, it lets the immune system really kind of calm down again, and C, it mimics what what we had before when we had periods of famine. And um when I was, um, when I was still really struggling to, um, to get, uh, you know, my metabolism back under control. And for me, it's been much more of a challenge than for anyone else because I don't have a thyroid, which is the master controller, uh, metabolically. But I've been able to do it anyway, um, using these, um, using these principles. And, um, when I think back to how I was 11 years ago, I literally could not go three hours without eating because I, my blood sugar was so unbalanced and I was going into a full hyperglycemic sugar wow. crash and, um, and I'd be shaking and sweating and I'd need to put food in. So that is how um, unbalanced I was uh, metabolically. 11 years on after living like this for this length of time, I can do 20 hours quite easily. I don't even notice I haven't eaten. Oh, wow. So that is a really long time. That's not what I'm saying to everyone to do. I'm purely using it as an example to show how much balance you can get back into your system again um, when you've been that unstable as I was. And um, so, you know, I'm that this is much more about going back to our evolutionary norm because if we speak to our bodies with the, you know, the food talk that they understand, you tend to bring on stream all of those protective mechanisms and your body tends to really come back into balance by itself. 
So that's kind of on the food side. Obviously, eat a rainbow every day. So you're taking all those secondary uh, plant metabolites in so that you get all that antioxidant support as well. Um, And then, um, you know, your lifestyle choices shape your brain as well. So, um, you know, so it's what we eat, it's how we eat, it's how often we eat. And then we come to the three biggies of move, rest and relax. Mm-hmm. So movement, um, I hate to say the E word, um, so <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to call it activity because I think it's less triggering <laughs> um, because you can be really like active that. without having to put on, you know, trainers and special clothes. Um, yes. But we have to have activity because we, particularly our brains need that because it is physical activity and constant movement that actually helps us lay down new brain cells. And it also, um, you know, it stimulates brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is called BDNF. And BDNF, if you remember nothing else, is just one of the most important proteins in the brain. It supports the survival of existing brain cells, and it really encourages the growth and the differentiation of new ones. So it's very active in the areas of the brain responsible for learning, memory, and higher thinking. So this is our problem solving. Now, if you think about what is causing us huge stress at the moment, and you know, those people who can problem solve very efficiently will end up with lower stress because they can actually calmly see their way through a situation. They can find a solution. And um and you know BDNF also supports memory. And I, I know I've, I've, um, from a study that I've seen that um, when they've done um, post-mortems into the uh, brains of people who've died of um, Alzheimer's disease, they found very, very low levels of BDNF. So okay. um, it's kind of really important. You also find it in the eye, um, in the motor neurons, in kidneys, in saliva, and in the prostate gland as well. So um, it's increased when we have... Um, prebiotic fibers from plant foods to create a much more um, happy gut microbiome so we're back to eating a rainbow every day and um, it's really been a breakthrough in um, the treatment of alzheimer's disease is doing things that increase bdnf and exercise um, is really is is a is one of those things as well so just being able to do the physical activity that works for you and um, so many people immediately jump to really uh, vigorous exercise, trainers, marathon running, gyms. But, yes. you know, let's not forget cleaning the car, gardening, um, house, you know, the housekeeping. I mean, making beds and cleaning uh, and hoovering is, is really is pretty active. So, you know, doing the shopping, choosing to walk up the stairs instead of taking the escalators, um, walking wherever you can. The, this is, it's all activity. It's just about doing stuff every day that gets your body moving constantly so that you're not sitting for long periods of time. Absolutely. And I think we are all guilty of that, especially now with the whole working from home and people are not walking around. This was just sitting there for the whole day in front of their computer. So it's about maybe having those little breaks and, and doing a few things or stretching, you know, as you say, just um, moving a bit more. I, I know one of the things that I did a couple of years ago, I came across um, 
um, I came across uh, these amazing uh, rebounders. Now, um, I've known about rebounders for obviously decades, but these are Bellicon rebounders that have got bungee cords. And so there are other companies who are coming out with um, with rebounders with bungee cords instead of springs. And um, for anybody who is um, now working from home and doing a lot less movement, I'd say go and check out the you know the rebounders that use the bungees because they are much less stressful um, on the fascia and on the joints of your body than springs are and um, if you they because they increase your g-force they also increase the sort of benefit of the exercise um, in a shorter period of time so you know doing 15 minutes is equivalent to sort of doing an hour um, of normal exercise so you can really easily you know, if you've got one sitting at home and you're working from home, take a 10 minute break a few times a day and just get on the rebounder and, um, you know, and, and jump around for a bit. Apart from the fact that it puts a huge smile on your face, it, um, it really stimulates lymphatic flow and, um, and it, and it really gets activity into, you know, into every cell. But it also, um, helps you to stimulate a much better core as well. It really gets your core muscles working because you're on a pliable, unstable um, mat as well that you're working on. And if you you can do Pilates on them, you can do yoga on them, uh, you can do stretches, you can do weights, you can do all kinds of things. So for people working from home now, I think those kind of rebounders are very good. I think if you get yourself a few dumbbells as well um, to do some weight-bearing exercise, you know, there's tons you can do at home, so you don't have to kind of think it's um, it's 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 too far out from you. And even people who are vulnerable um, because they've been unwell, um, or you might have had operations, um, some of those um, rebounders come with uh, uh, with sort of T bars on them as well, and um, just some very gentle walking has no stress on the joints and is a way to sort of bring you back from you know from ill health to to better health really so i i've i'm just i'm a great believer in them because they do so little damage but they do so much good as well sounds fantastic i need to get one myself yeah (laughs) thank you for that that's great and the one, the other thing I'm just because we're talking about the brain is that, um, one of the, all this research into Alzheimer's and everything, and uh, people will be familiar with the term, the amyloid plugs, because they are the things in the brain that are a feature of Alzheimer's that, um, that obviously are, are, are part of the pathology. But exercise actually helps to clear them. And it, um, it also, you know, simulates, um, sort of the abundant cells, the glial cells that we've just been talking about, the microglia and the astrocytes. But your gut bacteria can also help clear these plaques from the brain as well if you've got sort of the right diet um, and and your gut is in a good uh, in a good state. So find some activity that is fun for you that you really enjoy. And um and again, you know, outdoor activity um is so much better for you. So getting into the woods, um, getting anywhere outdoors by the water, anywhere that you can and doing your walking or doing something outdoors is going to be much more stress relieving because that is also part of our evolutionary norm and what we, and what we are used to doing, um, is we're used to being active outside. So I think we, what have we talked about? We've talked about how, um, 
we, how we eat, we've talked about how we move. And so the last two things are about rest and relaxation. And um, sleep is major. Sleep is absolutely major because um, we do most of our clearing in the brain when we sleep. So if you, uh, you know, thinking back to the microglia now and having to bring them back from a pro-inflammatory state back to a more resting state, that kind of resolution and clearing happens when we're sleeping. So if you um, are an insomniac or if you've got um, issues with sleep, then please do what you can. See a practitioner, do what you can to, uh, to work with that because you need your sleep to be able to bring the stress levels down and to also deal with that kind of clearing. So generally, um, six to eight hours a night is what most people um, would benefit from. And, um, you know, the normal sleep hygiene, you know, no blue screens, no, no triggers, you know, an hour or so before you're about to get into bed, sleeping in a pitch dark room, because um, the pineal gland doesn't make melatonin, um, if there's any light source, making sure that you're not being nuked by electromagnetic um, radiation from your Wi Fi and things, turn that off at night. Um, have a look around your bedroom and just check you don't have tons of plug sockets all behind your bed. But just give your body um, the best chance of a healthy um, of healthy sleep. And that brings us into sort of one of the, the last areas that I wanted to talk about today, which is more to do with relaxation and how you can actively do some mindfulness work um, using breathing, and um and doing you know doing things outdoors you know just sitting and you know doing some breathing exercises to calm yourself down and take yourself out of that sort of prime state so if you do find that you're in that position of feeling overwhelmed um if you're stressed um if you just can't see the wood for the trees Try and make some time, you know, even if it's once a day, but two to three times a day when you can sit for a couple of minutes. And I mean, I'm not talking about um, taking ages. I'm just talking about maybe um, taking two to three minutes out of your day, um, a few times a day to just sit and close your eyes and um, do some breathing exercises. There are so many different things available now for mindfulness. I'd say have a look at some apps. Um, see what you can find but if you just want to do a basic um, breathing is just imagine that you have a clock face in front of you and just take a, a deep in breath um, sort of from um, from 12 until 6 on the clock face and then breathe out from 6 until 12 and then slowly um, as you take you know sort of four five six breaths slow that down as much as you can make sure you're taking the breath as deeply as you can into the bottom of your lungs you know using your abdomen as well and while you're doing that just concentrate on something or a range of things that you feel grateful for that you can feel appreciative of and just focus on the positivity of that appreciation as you take that breathing and you take your breathing down and you will feel your stress levels coming down you'll feel your body starting to calm and you'll feel yourself getting a little bit more grounded and if you can do that you know twice three times a day at different times of the day you will start to feel um, more space uh, you'll give your brain a bit more space 
and um, and it is wonderful for bringing a bit of peace into the body. And you know, the other thing to um, to keep in your mind is that appreciation um, is the one uh, sort of emotion that all of us understand. Um, you know, different emotions mean different things to different people, but gratitude and appreciation, we all know what that means. And particularly the energy of appreciation, it brings you into resonance with the vibration of the earth, which is the planet that we live on, which will make you even calmer and um, bring you much more into a grounded state, state where you can actually feel some peace in your life. So I really encourage you to breathe more and to do different types of breathing exercises. You will be amazed at how it takes you off that kind of flight and fight um, space and into a much more rest and digest calmer space. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it's amazing the power of the breath and just taking those few moments. It really does just calm everything down, doesn't it? And it stops that mind racing and, and just thinking about, you know, the positive of, you know, gratitude of what you do have rather than what you haven't achieved or what you're not doing um, really brings you back and grounds you, as you say, it is, it is really effective. And I think the other big thing is it helps you to stay present. And so mm -hmm. many people are jumping into a future timeline all the time. Yes. And the anxiety and the stress is always about something in the future. Um, so we, we need to always come back to present moment. And, um, and what we can do with our mindfulness work and our breathing is we can actually trigger the higher reward system in the brain, which creates new neuronal pathways. And it literally remolds your brain into a new place. So, you know, we can do that for ourselves without any external, um, you know, help. If we just create some me time, really, where we, where we will give that to ourselves. And honestly, I mean, three minutes, a couple of times a day, I'm sure everyone can kind of find the space to be able to do that, um, to, you know, remold the brain and come back to the present time all the time amazing advice there so are there anything are there any other sort of um, nutrients or herbs that people might be able to take to help reduce the inflammation in the brain absolutely and I'm so aware Michelle that we've um, we seem to have covered so much ground and yet hardly even scratched the surface so if I just wind up now by talking a little bit about herbs and um, I'd like to say, you know, straight away that if you are going to use herbs, um, you know, for uh, if, as a treatment, then I would really suggest that you see a herbal practitioner. But um, some of what I'm going to talk about, you can actually drink as teas and you can use in your cooking as well. So um, for, particularly for brain infla inflammation, there are three um, groups of herbs. So the ones that fall into the category of nervines, which are very uh, relaxing for the nervous system, um, the adaptogens, which are basically balancing for the whole system and help the body to find its um, natural balance again, and then obviously the anti-inflammatories. So um, a couple of the, uh, the best uh, calming ones, um, oats um, are fortifying and sustaining and they really help with a better blood sugar balance. And um, they've been used in herbal medicine a lot for nervous exhaustion and chronic stress. Rosemary as well has traditionally been associated with memory, but also helps with anxiety and sleep. And it is a powerful antioxidant as well. So, um, you know, 
with rosemary, you can use that a lot. You can use fresh rosemary as an infusion to drink it in teas. You can also use it in your cooking as well. Um, for balance, holy basil or tulsi, you can get as a tea and you can, um, and you can drink that instead of, you know, black tea or coffee. Um, is a very powerful um, uh, adaptogen for balancing and it has a long history of use for improving brain fog and also our cognitive function. And it does help recovery from brain trauma as well. And anyone who's had brain trauma, um, you know, they've been very successful um, practitioners who've used high-dose uh, um, omega-3 oils um, for really helping the brain with trauma. But again, if you've been through something like that, I would suggest seeing a practitioner. Another adaptogen for balancing is licorice root. It helps to conserve cortisol and keep us off high alert and also manage um, blood sugar in a better way. And, um, and then obviously the anti-inflammatories and, you know, turmeric, ginger and sage are absolutely fantastic. And you can drink all of them as teas. You can use them in your cooking, but you can also see a practitioner and, uh, and have some uh, herbal tinctures actually made up um, for you um, in, in, a, in a much more um, physiological um, dose. Thanks so much for flagging up those herbs, Melanie. Some lovely herbs. Yeah, I'm a big fan of licorice and oats and turmeric. So yeah, and and I'd just like to add there that, you know, it's great to have those as teas and add them into cooking. But if you do want that sort of therapeutic dose, it is best to speak to a naturopath or a herbalist to get a liquid extract. So herbalists can mix up a liquid formula for you, which has got a more potent dose of, of the particular herb. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and, and knowledge with us, Melanie. It's been absolutely fantastic and so insightful and inspiring, especially hearing your story and how you've overcome, you know, the thyroid issues. So that's um, absolutely amazing. So where can people find more information about you and the work you do? Um, I think the best place is the um, Alliance for Natural Health website. So it's www.anhinternational.org. Um, and then you can find sort of videos and presentations and things out there and you know lots of information um i haven't done anything separate because i've been with anh for so long now so it's all on there but i think i just i really hope that um we you know our conversation today has left people with this you know hugely positive call to action to say that you know nothing is insurmountable and our bodies are just miraculous we have the most amazing ability to heal if we can just give our bodies what they need um, at any one time you you would be amazed at how you know the imperative that we have in our brain and in our body is to be well um and and um and to heal so it's um it's, it's, it's positive and in changes like this um, are positive and they really do help to restore your vitality and your resilience again. Absolutely. And it's, it's never a case of it's, oh, it's too late to do anything. You know, no, I think you can always no. make changes, can't you? Uh, you absolutely can. Um, you to um, yeah, it's, it's never, ever too late. And uh, as I say, I mean, our bodies have a, an inbuilt imperative to be well. Yep. Absolutely. And even for people that have got so, sort of, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia, you can slow that down, can't you, with 
making these changes? You, you, you know, the thing is there are so many different types of Alzheimer's and depend, dementia now, and there are practitioners who are really specialising in that. Um, Dr. Dale Bredesen has probably um, done the most comprehensive work in the functional medicine area, um, and um, I think his treatment plan looks at about 36 different markers, but there are ways of being able to influence, and he's had, um, I think, you know, the best results um, around. So there are quite a few now predison practitioners trained. Um, I, I, I'm sure your um, CNM nutritional practitioners have looked at this as well. Um, but yes, I think the message is absolutely um, we want to look after our brains early, but even if you're at late stage, um, you know, you can still help the body as well. Absolutely. Now that's fantastic. So we'll pop all the links in the show notes to the A and uh, the A and H, and also to um, CNM's website where you can find links to practitioners and our directories. So uh, for anyone that wants any more information, but thank you so much, Melanie. It's been absolutely amazing and an absolute pleasure. Oh, Michelle, thank you. It's been uh, it's been wonderful. So um, thanks very much, and to everyone listening as well. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks for listening and a big thank you to Melanie for sharing her wealth of knowledge and experience with us. You can find all the information discussed today and more about Melanie in the show notes on the CNM website at www.cnmpodcast.com. And if you're interested in learning more about nutrition, herbal medicine or naturopathy, check out CNM's range of short courses and diplomas. We've got a series of open events coming up and you can find all the details on CNM's website at www.naturopathy-uk.com under the events section. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe through your favorite podcatcher so you don't miss any future episodes. While you're there, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating or review as this helps us when creating new content.